Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's podcast episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall, and we're so glad that you found us today. Our guest today is Michael Spencer, CEO of Global Expansion Strategies, and uh, we're really excited to have you on for today's conversation, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you, JW, for having me on. Absolutely. And we're going to be talking about uh, international ed tech and expanding uh, ed tech companies globally, which is a topic we've not discussed yet on the podcast. So I'm excited to dive right in. But before we do so, uh, Michael, if you could give our audience a little background on yourself and a little background on global expansion strategies. Sure, sure. Um, global expansion strategies pretty much stemmed out of my uh, years in the international space, born and raised overseas most of my life, uh, coming to the United States in the early 80s, uh, getting right into uh, undergraduate MBA program and working in Silicon Valley with tech companies specifically focused on taking their technologies internationally. Um, Around 20 years ago, I started to see tremendous uh, opportunities within the ed tech space, uh, specifically education companies wanting to go international, but uh, really didn't understand how to do that. So I, I sort of pivoted from the commercial technology space to ed tech, and, and since then been working with uh, all sorts of companies, medium, uh, small, medium, and large companies, uh, focusing on their international growth strategies and and have been doing that for the better half of the past um, 20 years. Wow. And give us a little bit of background just on the international market. Is it uh, a great untapped resource? Is it saturated? Uh, what's kind of been the evolution in recent decades? Great, great question. Untapped resource. Um, specifically, uh, you know, in the international space, you have multiple levels of schools, A, B, C, and D. Um, a, a and B level schools are sort of high socioeconomic, uh, academic, high academic levels, um, and and in such that 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 category is a level of private schools um, that is very receptive to um, technology. Most of the staff and the senior management at these at these schools are Western educated always looking for technologies to um, improve just overall student outcomes within the schools. And so those are the A and B levels. Um, the C and D level schools are, are sort of more on the, on the public side of the space. Um, and, and it's a very price sensitive space. Um, there is a tremendous market potential for that as well. And so when you, when you take these international companies, when you take these ed tech companies internationally, you really need to understand um, what the product does and how to position it within any one of those A, B, C, or D level schools internationally. That's great advice. And for me, I often get approached by international companies wanting to break into the U.S. market, mm -hmm. uh, which has, in my opinion, become pretty saturated in recent years. Um, what advice would you give to any U.S.-based companies that uh, maybe haven't explored the, the option of going more international? What would be a good starting point? Um, I, I would say that a, a good starting point would be to truly understand um, how your technology can be implemented um, in any number of blended or and or hybrid learning models. 
Now with the pandemic in play, uh, there's a tremendous shift from in-class instruction to, um, you know, uh, home instruction or combination of both. So for, for U.S. companies to be successful in that space, they really need to understand how their programs, platforms can be configured to accommodate those, those blended learning uh, models. And so it sounds like in some cases, there may be a little bit of modification to uh, a program, a platform, a curriculum. Um, that sounds expensive. Uh, is, it, um, is, it, is it expensive or is there a cost-effective way to go international? Cost-effective way is, is using what we've relied on for years and is very effective in-country strategic channel partners. These are organizations uh, or individuals that are very in tune um, with the local market's needs and wants, government regulations and government oversights. And, and they're pretty knowledgeable in being able to present te technologies to schools and then subsequently position them um, and configure them in blended learning models. So, uh, you know, unlike the, the previous years where there was, there was the belief that there had to be a tremendous cost associated with modifying, localizing, or configuring programs um, to be implemented internationally, that is not the case. It's usually done um, quite cost-effectively um, in-country with the strategic channel partner uh, managing it at, at the school. And so uh, you really have to, to know someone, it sounds like, as a way to, to move cost-effectively and, and probably quickly. What kind of time frames do you see in most international? Is it a year-long sales cycle or is it is it fairly quick? Uh, great question. Uh, it, it can. I've seen as short as uh, deployments or implementations in three months um, to uh, as long as as a year. And and when you start to get into that year sales cycle, it's because the the program that ultimately is going to be used at the school is going to be implemented school wide. So they need to look at their calendar start dates um, uh, to to be able to uh, you know deploy it successfully, and oftentimes that's usually a year out. So it ranges anywhere from I would say six to twelve months. And and I would also imagine if you were dealing in the public sector, that C or D category mm -hmm. could be a, a long sales cycle or implementation cycle with the the scale and the volume of a system wide adoption. Yeah, a lot of challenges there. Um, albeit there are, uh, there are, there is an opportunity when you when you go into the public sector, you have um, price sensitivity issues, um, deployment issues. So yeah, it, it take it takes a little bit longer, um, but uh, uh, is is a definite market. I always encourage uh, companies when we take them international to focus on those A and B level schools first get in-country, uh, get traction, get scale, and then subsequently um, develop a, a more simplified version, I guess you could say, for the public sector, which then, in, which then in turn reflects in the pricing, lower pricing. That makes sense. Get some quick wins early and, and build some momentum, similar Absolutely. to what you would do in any other uh, territory in the U.S. domestically here. Mm -hmm. um, I also am curious, uh, are there areas of the world that are um, more welcoming or more uh, ripe for uh, American companies to expand into? Yeah. Uh, Middle East, Asia, or APAC, Southeast Asia, and Latin America. Uh, the, these, are, these are countries that um, have always been open 
uh, to technologies. Um, there is an established uh, network of strategic channel partners in, in these geographies. And it's really a function of, of, of working with the right strategic channel partner that has the relationships with the, the different classifications or categories of schools. And maybe talk a little bit more about you had mentioned in the pandemic, uh, there's been this shift towards more uh, hybrid learning models. Um, it seems that there's a sense of, uh, in the U.S., closing the digital divide and the uh, digital equity gaps. Uh, is the rest of the world catching up faster, uh, I guess is my question, because they've got this uh, need that can be filled um, more quickly maybe than we're moving in the States? Yes, correct. International schools, many of the, the international schools that, that we have worked with have uh, been, um, they've adapted faster to the content blended learning and, and hybrid learning. And, and, and therefore, um, not only have they been uh, faster to adapt to it, but the, the, the instructional staff or team that's at the school um, have uh, been able to deploy and implement these blended and hybrid learnings, uh, learning models a lot faster uh, as well. So um, we've seen tremendous acceleration in several of our, of our deployments recently um, where uh, many of these schools have made the decision to deploy blended learning models, uh, i.e. half in school, half at home, with all sorts of, of you know, tools used in the interim to deploy these models. Yeah, and, and we feel like here in the States, we've accelerated three to five years in the first three to five months of the pandemic. Uh, do you believe that acceleration has been even faster internationally, or, or were they maybe a little more prepared? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I've I've often uh, been um, questioned about the, about the the uh, this statement, but uh, due to the pandemic, I think online education has been accelerated anywhere from five to ten years, and many of these international countries, having already been deploying and using a combination of uh, blended learning models for several years now, have been um, faster to adapt to it. Wow, that's really interesting and kind of counterintuitive for a lot of my audience. I would imagine they would think the rest of the world is uh, behind the U.S., but that's not necessarily always the case. As far as market opportunity, could you put some some general numbers around uh, what is the, the opportunity out there and, and why is this something that uh, is really at least worth looking at and exploring? Um, yeah, you have a, a lot of these these. Um, international private schools um, are, are private school operators, and they've been going through tremendous um, uh, acquisitions over the over the over the past couple of years. And so now you have school operators that range in size from thirty thousand to several of the larger ones being upwards uh, of one point five million students in K to twelve. Right, and and so um, as as these schools begin to grow, uh, or these schools operators begin to grow in size, they 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 become very um, effective in the technologies and platforms uh, that they that they want to use. And so when when they look at technologies, it's not just to use it in one, two, or three schools. It's used. It's usually done so on a um, you know network uh, school operator network wide deployment. So the opportunities are quite large. 
And what would you say in your experience is the biggest needs out there? Uh, obviously, there are a lot of ed tech companies in, in the U.S., uh, more than the international community could handle if they all tried this. Um, but what, what are some that are really in need right now? Um, you, you have a lot of categories in these schools that, that, um, that they, they look to uh, fulfill with unique and creative, innovative and disruptive technologies. One of those is um, bilingual. Many of these schools have uh, a category called bilingual programs in which um, they, they deploy a number of programs to help their students learn how to read, write and speak English. Um, and in years past, they would rely on one vendor to provide that one, that one solution that helps students how to read, uh, how to read, write, and speak. Well, o- over the past couple of years, um, it's it's become clear that students haven't become proficient in reading and writing and speaking and listening um, via the use of just one program. And so now these schools are looking for programs that are really focused on each one of those four categories. So tremendous market potential there. Um, another market or another category would be, uh, you know, the the STEM, STEAM, or STREAM category, um, where specifically these schools are looking for, um, you know, technologies uh, that are uh, in in the uh, programming um, robotics arena. Right again, trying to nurture that that uh, that area of focus for those students. Uh, and then you're starting to see what what recently has started to uh, um, pop up is everything in the career and technical education and career advancement space as well. That's great. And I'm curious to get your crystal ball out for a moment and think about what is the international market look like in the next year, two years, three years? Um, do you think this is kind of a land grab right now where companies have this opportunity, but it, it may not be around forever? There may be some... Uh, established players uh, over the next couple of years. Um, I, I think the market is is at a, at a stage where um, they're they are now looking for those technologies that are going to really help students achieve their their individual outcomes. Right, um, the days of using one vendor um, that has all the subject matters, all the content, all the curriculum. Um, I think is still there, um, but but these companies are now looking for other technologies and other companies that that they can work with, and so I think that's going to be a, a, a continuous trend at least for the next uh, ten ten years. So you you see it kind of forming more like the U.S. market where there is competition uh, for the mm-hmm. best products in multiple categories and all categories, really. That is, yep, that's correct. That's great. Um, give us some some stories. Give us some examples uh, of different companies that have uh, taken this venture and, and seen success. Yeah, uh, we, we've got one school operator internationally um, with uh, well over 300,000 students. Um, they had come to the conclusion that their single source vendor for an English language program um, was really not achieving the student outcomes uh, that they were looking for uh, in regards to their students being able to uh, read, write, and speak um, at various different grade levels. Um, and it was predominantly an in-class uh, program. Um, and, and earlier in, in 2020, 
um, around the end of Q2, they started to realize this and uh, acknowledge that they needed something better. Um, and so they, they uh, reached out to us and asked us, do we have any solutions? Uh, we had a handful of companies in our existing portfolio um, that, that we uh, have been working with and subsequently recommended it to them. Um, and uh, we'll be deploying that across um, all grade levels. That's great. Um, what do you think would be the most surprising thing that uh, our listeners would be interested in learning about the international market? Uh, the most surprising thing about the international market um, that uh, it's it's relatively um, fluid in regards to the the migration from in classroom instruction to blended learning. Very few. Um, very few challenges or hurdles. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, of, um, programs that are being implemented in blending, blended learning models without, without the trial and errors that I'm seeing here in the United States, right? We've, we've seen all sorts of programs, um, you know, change, um, variables over, over the past couple of months. That uh, doesn't seem to be the case internationally. Many of these schools um, truly understand um, how to deploy these programs. And so when they, they implement them, they're, they're pretty much the programs and the models moving forward. That's great. I know in the U.S. there are a lot of programs that get purchased and never really fully adopted or implemented. Um, so you're saying that there's uh, maybe less clutter and more focus um, and uh, maybe the dollars are uh, even tighter there so that they're really going to use the programs that they adopt. Yeah, and, and ultimately it's it's providing a consistent educational environment for the students, right? So you even say there are some things that uh, we can learn from some of those uh, international systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we in fact, you know, with, with uh, some of our customers internationally have been able to uh, take models that we used it in uh, one country, modify it a little bit, and use it in another country. So we're able to, we, we have a pretty big repository of knowledge and IP that allows us to really, um, when we approach a school and they provide us with their with their needs and their challenges and their ultimate goals, we're able to really draw on a knowledge base that we've, uh, you know, garnished over the past couple of years to really provide them with the most optimum program. Um, and model today. I love it. And I think that just speaks even more to the scalability of e-learning uh, and, and you know, taking this global. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that we really try to do is, is not only accommodate, you know, providing the school with a solution and a program and a model they need, but we also have to be um, understanding of, of the technology company itself, right? And making sure that the economics behind it um, are win-win for everybody, right? Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the economics, how does the support typically work? Is that uh, handled 100% by the provider or is there a local uh, component? How does that work? Great, great question, JW. Um, two people. The, the reseller or the strategic channel partner in-country is sort of manages the, the relationship for the company in-country. When, when these strategic channel partners deploy these programs at, at the, these, these large school operators, they oftentimes um, work with a local coordinator and a facilitator in the school, 
Uh, most of the time, these are uh, English, fluent English um, speakers, and their their sole responsibility is to manage the program at the at the school, manage it, market it, uh, provide all the professional support, uh, professional development, and training. Um, and so, with that sequence um, of um, touch points, um, that that's how these programs are are being able to successfully. Um, scale in these schools. Wow. Um, so now I'll throw you a curveball question. What, why would a company not go international? Is there any good reason? Uh, I think a, a lot a lot has to do with the, the unknown. They just don't understand uh, the, 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 the true potential of the international market. Um, sure, there are challenges, but um, with with the current state of, you know, Education here in the United States and the challenges that that um, we currently see and that are coming, it would behoove companies to look internationally um, uh, to expand. Obviously, with expansion comes incremental revenue, right? Yeah, and it seems like maybe there would be, as a kind of not taking on the entire world at once, a scenario where a company in their due diligence would find certain companies or, or countries or regions are the best fit for them uh, initially to take that first step. Is that often how you kind of roll out some of your uh, client work? Yeah. You know, it, it, it again, it comes down to the management of the company and their direction and, and their, their drive, right? Um, the, mis- the biggest misunderstanding that we've seen is that every uh, all these uh, many of these ed tech companies think that there's a tremendous cost associated with having to localize your content to take it internationally. That is not the case. Most of the times um, with, the, with the strategic channel partners that we have, they'll take on the costs associated with localizing um, the the uh, platform or content for the schools or combination there thereof. And then is there also um, investors looking to help some companies that maybe are in a tight crunch right now with the pandemic uh, locally, nationally, but would be willing to put some investment behind uh, an expansion into the global market? Yep. Yep. We've uh, had lengthy conversations with a network of, vest- of investors, both domestically and internationally. Uh, we tend to focus on on companies that are, you know, looking for um, seed and early A and A rounds. Uh, sometimes we will come in on the front end uh, of that investment. Sometimes we'll come in on the back end of that that investment. But there's a there's a pretty big investment community out there, both private and institutional, looking to help these companies expand internationally. Um, and so, you know. To your question earlier, when we meet these companies, we put we, we put a uh, go-to-market strategy that really determines where is the best um, uh, market to go f- to first, uh, getting a handful of wins, and then scaling up from there. Some of the companies we work with, we focus on just one geography. Others, we focus on multiple geographies. Um, and then within, within that strategy, once we've captured uh, a considerable amount of um, – you know, traction and then subsequently scale, we start to tap into the investment community because many of these ed tech companies find themselves looking for that A round to help uh, accelerate that growth even further uh, and, and then obviously expanding into additional geography. So we also participate in that. Well, I imagine you can then fuel future global growth with the initial successes um, that you're starting to see, not only proof of concept, but, but bringing in revenue. Yep, Absolutely. 
So last question on that note, is there a an optimal size? I would imagine that any company of any size, if there's a, a fit, there's a fit. But um, it, is it those early uh, seed funding round companies? Is it a maybe a, a high growth, medium sized company or or is it kind of some of the bigger folks uh, that are uh, just dragging their feet for whatever reason? Um, we look. We like to focus on on early to mid stage um, companies. These are these are companies that have you know our post two years revenue um, have have generated uh, organic revenue, um, be it domestically here in the United States. You know that for us that shows us that the product has been uh, put in the hands of uh, you know education institutions has been vetted. Uh, I, you know, inks, uh, kinks, and, and perhaps bugs have been, you know, ironed out and, and they're ready to now scale, right? We, what we've realized at that stage is that the, the mindset of management, management is, is very receptive to uh, possibly making some alterations or configurations to the platform to subsequently uh, take advantage of some of these international opportunities. And so we tend to focus on, on, on sort of in those categories of, uh, uh, of companies. That's perfect. Absolutely. Um, well, that's given us a lot to think about uh, as far as the international market. I know I learned a lot today um, as far as, you know, the opportunity that's out there. And so for our listeners, uh, thank you for joining us. If there's uh, any questions, I'm sure uh, we can uh, connect you with Michael through the blog uh, write-up that's uh, associated with this podcast episode because this is a really interesting time and a really interesting time in the global e-learning space. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really informative and, and really interesting uh, for myself and for my audience. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, JW. I appreciate it. And thank you for having us on the podcast today. Michael, thank you again so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and your insights into this uh, topic. I know it was interesting for myself and hopefully for my listeners. Uh, and to all my listeners, thank you again for joining us. As always, check out some past episodes and we'll look forward to seeing you next week on Voices of E-Learning. And never forget, always keep learning. <laughs>